May we pray for God's spirit to open our hearts and souls to his word and what that word can mean and do for us. Gracious Almighty God, we give you thanks for this day and the opportunity to open your word and to read from it. We pray your spirit to be with us as we hear these words read and we pray that we might come to understand what they mean but also to apply them to our lives so that we might be led by you into the future, into your will. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. New Testament scripture comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, 
whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. One worship service I'll always remember occurred during my second year at Columbia Theological Seminary. I prepared a sermon from today's gospel text to preach in a small church in Georgia, about a two-hour drive from the seminary in Decatur, Georgia. I had entitled the sermon, The Mountaintop Experience. I was scheduled to supply the pulpit on March the 2nd, 1980. However, due to unforeseen acts of nature, I was unable to leave campus that morning. It had begun to snow the night before, and Atlanta was covered in snow and ice were on the roads, and even the airport had been closed. I couldn't even get my car out of the drive there at the seminary where I stayed at the dorm. And so I had to call the contact person of the church to let them know that I was unable to come because of the tragic weather and the devastation on the roads. One of my friends realized my situation and knew that I would be unable to worship God in a community that day. So he suggested that I preach in the chapel there at the seminary and invite those on campus that wanted to come and be a part of that experience. And so I did. There were 25 of us all together in that church that day. We had no bulletin, no arranged service of songs or hymns to sing, but that didn't matter. We were together in the chapel, worshiping God as a community, a very great experience. That was perhaps one of the most unexpected experiences of worship I've ever had. The gospel story today is the transfiguration story. The transfiguration is a worship experience. Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, with him up onto a mountain to get away from the busyness of the world and to commune with God. It becomes a worship opportunity. The gospel text reveals the essentials of worshiping God, which should put an inner shine in our lives. One of the first essentials of worship and the opportunity we have in worship is to fellowship with the saints. After Peter, James, and John reach the destination on the mountain, Jesus is transformed into something they had never expected. His clothes become dazzling white. Then there appears before them Elijah and Moses, who talk with Jesus. Elijah and Moses are the two Old Testament figures who were great men of God. 
they no doubt are with God. Those who experience God also, in a sense, fellowship with them who are with God. Those believers who have gone before us are with God. We who fellowship with God, in a sense, are also fellowship with them. The word saint basically means believer. So worship at its best is when believers fellowship with one another. Worship is enhanced when we share together in fellowship. We grow closer to one another when we share a common experience. Our faith is deepened and our ties with God are strengthened. Worship, of course, can be done privately, one-on-one with God. I've heard people say that they can worship God on the golf course or at the beach or in the mountains or traveling down the road, which is true. Worship can take place anywhere. However, the community dimension is so very important in the development of our faith and our relationship with God. In his book, Why Christians Sin, J. Kirk Johnston tells about a young Russian woman who, before the collapse of the Iron Curtain, was allowed to visit her relatives in Canada. She was a devout Christian, and her friends assumed that she would defect and seek asylum either in Canada or the United States because of the religious oppression in the USSR. But they were wrong. She wanted to return to her household, her homeland. This Russian woman said that people in the West were too busy acquiring material things and not concerned enough with their relationships. In her homeland, Christian fellowship was essential to their faith because it provided the support and encouragement so they could desperately, they so desperately needed. Genuine Christian fellowship involves loving one another in the family of God, caring for one another, sharing with one another, bearing one another's burdens and rejoicing and sorrowing together. There is uplifting fellowship as we worship, sing and pray together. One of the greatest blessings a believer can enjoy is the fellowship of the saints. Worship at its best is a community experience. A second essential in worship is to adore Christ. Initially, the three disciples go up on the mountain to be with Jesus. Luke says that they go away by themselves to pray. When Peter sees Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses, he suggests that they set up three shelters, one for each of them. Peter speaks before he thinks. Peter wants them all to remain on the mountain so he may enjoy their presence. Peter is so awestruck that he wants this religious experience to continue. 
He wants to adore Christ. Worship at its best is giving praise and adoration to Christ. Christ is another step. Adoring Christ is that step toward putting an inner shine in our life. When Christ lives within us, we reflect his love and glory. Christ's brilliance comes from within him, for his clothes are whiter than any bleach can make them. Our adoration of Christ puts our hearts in the proper place. Our priorities are more likely to be in the proper order when we adore our Lord and Savior. Such adoration reflects putting Christ first in our lives before anyone or anything else. A third essential in worship at its best is to hear the word of God. After Peter makes his suggestion about building the booths, the shelters for each person that was there, a voice comes from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Worship is not only praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, but worship is also receiving something from God. Worship at its best is hearing the word of God. Hearing God's word read and proclaimed has always been an essential ingredient in Reformed worship. God's word is essential to our development as Christians. God's word is a treasure book full of truth which we seek to discover. God's word is essential to us if we are to grow the love and knowledge of God. So when we fail to hear God's word in worship, we fail to experience worship at its best. Do we experience God in worship? Do we seek earnestly to hear the word of God? And do we allow God's word to find a home in our hearts? Worship at its best involves hearing the word of God. Owens recounts how she decided that after she had laid out her request before God in her evening prayers, she would then listen for God to say something back to her. She waited in the darkness for something to come, but heard nothing, and finally she went to sleep. But in the early morning hours, just before dawn, she found herself awake and weeping. There was in her mind the memory of a spinster aunt who had come to live with her family when Owens was a young adolescent. Her family had just moved, and Owens had been promised a room of her own in the new house where they were moving into. But with her aunt's arrival, it was her brother that got the new room 
And no one's got a roommate, a semi-invalid aunt who had been forced to live with her relatives her whole life. Over the weeks and months that followed, Owens barely concealed her bitterness at this injustice. But now, in this early morning light, Owens was feeling for the first time the shame that this elderly woman must have felt. Moving from house to house, never having one of her own, totally depending on the good graces of her nieces and nephews, never in all her years at home, or indeed until now, had Owens given a single thought to how she felt in that situation. But now she was getting a full dose of it, the pride that had to be swallowed daily. It was more than Owens could bear. She continued to speak, seek God in prayer and listen for his word. God revealed his word to her in similar ways as before. God speaks to us as we seek his will. And a fourth essential in worship at its best is to obey the challenge given to us in God's word. The voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The challenge we all face in worship is to obey God's word whenever we hear it. But God wants more than just hearing his word. God wants his word to be obeyed. God wants his word to make a difference in our lives. God wants his word to transform us. God wants his word to give our lives an inner shine, which will reflect the glory of God. Obeying his word may be dangerous and difficult. It may be uncomfortable. Obeying his word may mean changing something about ourselves. Obeying his word means transforming ourselves into the likeness of his beloved son. This happens through his spirit. The more we obey his word, the more we become like his son. The strongest motivators of obedience are those which we have a personal investment in. A school janitor posted a sign in the front of the schoolyard that read, Keep off the grass. But the children still trampled down the turf. Then the fourth grade teacher at her class had an idea. She and the students decided that each child would be given a crocus bulb to plant along the edge of the sidewalk in the fall. As winter drew to a close, the children eagerly watched the first signs of spring. What a power those hidden bulbs had to keep little feet on the right path. 
We too need a positive motivator to keep our feet on the right path. If our goal is to be able to stand before Christ with confidence and without shame when he comes again, then we want to obey him. The more time and effort we invest in our relationship with God and his son, the more we will want to obey God. Are these four essentials part of our worship? Worship at its best is the opportunity to fellowship with believers, to adore Christ, to hear God's word, and to be challenged to obey God's word. When we include these elements in our worship, we will have an inner shine in our lives, which comes only from a close relationship with God. Let's worship the best way we can by using these elements of worship each and every week. And we continue with our affirmation of faith.